Well, good morning from London, and I'm delighted to welcome Matt Allen uh, dialing in from Sydney. Uh, one of the small delights of the pandemic is this ability to uh, get guests in for the FS Club that we would normally, uh, naturally, Matt, pay first class for you to come and visit us. Uh, Matt is uh, here today to chat with us about sandboxes, where's the software? Uh, and this is a topic that I'm uh, particularly interested in. Many of you will know that I am not exactly an enormous fan of regulatory sandboxes for potential anti-competitive reasons, but there are many wider aspects to sandboxes, uh, and it doesn't even mean that the regulatory ones are a bad idea. Uh, it means that we need to look at them. Uh, and Matt and his team have got a tremendous amount of experience in this software behind sandboxes, which for the FS Club, which consists of people very, very much on the boundary of technology, finance, and economics, ought to be, I think, quite interesting. Now, you'll know me. I'm Michael Minelli. I'm one of the directors of Zien, and it really is my privilege to be able to introduce so many of these webinars, and I can only do so thanks to the tolerance, may I say it, uh, generosity, of course, uh, of our sponsors. They allow us to range widely and freely across technology, economics, and finance. And today, I think we'll certainly be doing that because there's a really interesting crossover here about how we use software to develop uh, new markets and innovation in a controlled fashion. Uh, what we'll be looking at today is uh, me getting out of the way so you can hear from our expert, and I'll do that as quickly as I can. Uh, then Matt will be presenting for approximately 20 minutes what he and his team have been doing and where they've had some enormous and interesting successes. And we'll touch briefly, I suspect, on sandboxes outside of financial services because there are many areas there that are worth considering. Uh, we will have about uh, 20 minutes of Q&A, and I've got really three minutes uh, to, to talk to you about housekeeping. No, seriously, on housekeeping, three points. Uh, the first point is, yes, this is being recorded, and it will be up in approximately two working days, uh, so expect it up uh, sometime uh, over the weekend, and you can show it to friends and colleagues, of course. Uh, the slides, yes, the slides are available. In fact, they're already available on the website and in the chat room. And thirdly, how do you ask questions? Well, you ask questions by using the GoToWebinar uh, question and answer facility. You just type the questions in there. Um, I will feed them into the conversation with Matt. Matt will be receiving all of those questions with your email attached. So if you want to ask a, a point of some detail or get in touch with Matt, just simply uh, type it in there. Please uh, don't use Signal, WhatsApp, email, uh, or any of the other many fascinating communication tools we all have these days, because I'm here with you, and this is the only one we'll be using uh, for the next 40 minutes or so. Uh, I think that completes sort of the housekeeping, Matt, so uh, very much uh, over to you. Morning, Michael. Morning, everyone. Pleasure to be with you uh, here today. Um, if we jump to just two slides down, uh, just to share a little bit about uh, who, what Sandpit is. Sandpit is a managed sandbox provider uh, serving fintech as a, fintech as a service uh, for financial institutions and industry bodies. We've got the largest innovation marketplace in, in Europe and users from some of the largest institutions of the world um, and also the sandbox provider for uh, the City of London Corporation and the FCA UK Digital Sandbox, uh, which came as a recommendation off the Khalifa Review in April this year. Um, Sandpit uh, and, and the idea of this, this digital sandbox all started for us back in 2018 when we, me and my team were working in a financial institution um, and doing a, a range of fintech partnerships. And every time we needed to 
integrate a new technology provider, um, it took at least six to nine months. Uh, and, and that's a common problem that we hear all around in many financial institutions that onboarding new technology is extremely painful and difficult. And there's all these, these problems. Um, and so we looked around the world um, for a solution. We looked you know, in every continent around the world uh, and couldn't find uh, anything. And that's where um, built a, a, a sandbox and, and built the first sort of digital sandbox that can accelerate um, that. And today, the focus is to share a little bit about how sandbox can accelerate time to market, how sandboxes uh, can facilitate strategic partnerships and promote industry engagement using the use case of the, the UK's digital sandbox, and then share uh, about how using sandboxes can scale um, sandboxes to or scale solutions to production uh, and reduce the time to, to market. What we find, uh, I mean, reported by, by Sapphire Ventures that Startups account for about 10% of IT budgets today. Um, and just in the last 12 months, that has increased by 50%. More and more financial institutions are looking to startups in order to uh, solve their problems. And that, that's common. And, and the reasons for that partnership uh, are pretty clear. On the next slide, there's some real value that financial institutions can bring. And there's some real value that startups can bring. Uh, startups with their new technology, their speed, their agility, strong teams, um, to deliver software quickly can be scaled by these institutions with the brand, with the global reputation and their their uh, their global distribution channels. But there's a whole bunch of friction to these partnerships actually happening. And this goes for not just financial institutions, this is every service sort of institution, every service industry around the world, whether it's manufacturing, healthcare, telco, startup partnerships are really challenging. And we've got a poll here just for the audience to understand what do you think is the primary challenge uh, for institutions to onboard new technology today? And I've just launched that poll uh, at the moment. So poll is open. Uh, folks, as you can see, Matt is asking, is it uh, what's the primary challenge? Discovery, procurement, uh, technical integration, aligning stakeholders or scaling? Uh, Matt, this audience is always quick off the mark and uh, half the folks have voted already. Uh, All right. And it's a very opinionated crowd out here, I, I know. And I'm just going to leave that poll open for another uh, 10 seconds or so so that you've all got a moment to consider it. Uh, if you've got another another thought as well that you disagree with all these five options, we'd love to hear it in, in the Q&A too. Excellent point. Great. Well, I'll just close that poll and share the results. And as you can see here, uh, a third of the audience believe it's very much about the technical integration uh, as being the, you know, the principal thing. Great. So just uh, shutting that down and uh, back to you, Matt. That's fantastic. So all those problems have a, have a, a challenge in actually getting products to market and, and time to market is the core problem that sandboxes solve. Um, and technical integration and procurement is what we find are those top reasons um, for the way that the procurement cycle um, is repeated for every single sort of technology that you want to onboard. Um, and that causes a huge tax almost that if you want to experiment with a new, new supplier, that's going to take nine months. And it means that you can't experiment multiple solutions in a standardized environment with a standardized data set. The sandboxes give you a lot of agility to do that. Um, 
And then also um, evaluating that technology against a standard set of KPIs. It's the data bit and the environment, but actually a standard set of KPIs and being able to iterate quickly um, is challenging. And that's what the Sandbox workflow um, provides. On the next slide, on the left, you've got uh, institutions, whether it's financial institutions or any service industry, bringing their problem, whether that's based on a CEO remit, whether that's based on a product owner who sees an opportunity that they need to exploit. They bring that into the sandbox and they, they bring together in that first stage, collaborate all the stakeholders that are required within an institution uh, whether the, and in order to get a product out. Within that sandbox, that's where they can then build by collecting all the right data they need, onboarding the right technologies, the new startup vendor and any internal technology systems that will be integrated, proprietary data feeds or internal uh, APIs and systems that are used, and then create multiple environments to then evaluate those solutions against a standard set of KPIs. Uh, and using the Sandbox workflow, you can constantly iterate very quickly, multiple times per day, to identify how is the solution going to solve the business challenge that we're trying to solve. And that, that, that usually that's in the case of uh, I guess, cost saving. How, how well does this solution actually deliver uh, this the problem that we're trying to solve? Now, this works for an institution. Um, the workflow is similar for industry bodies, which, which we'll touch on. Um, and for the FCA, for example, their remit is to help the industry actually deliver these new safe and secure products to market. And that's where that industry level collaboration comes in at the top, where they can be engaged at each level of the innovation uh, in the development of these processes in a managed sandbox environment to get that view and to get that perspective. Uh, and and we'll, we'll touch upon that use case um, in a little bit. So there's five main things that a sandbox provides on the next slide. And it's unlocking real like new business models for uh, financial institutions. They can onboard fintechs faster which gives them a lot of ability to evaluate the right supplier that they need to use. Um, data sharing is often, here we hear that as the, the biggest challenge to actually innovation, that I've got a bunch of data in the institution, how do I share that? Um, and Sandbox is a secure managed way with all the governance framework around it to provide a neutral environment for that collaboration to happen. Not just in, and, and we, at the moment, talking about institution to institution, how do we then scale that to multiple financial institutions working with multiple fintechs and a, and a neutral and sandbox environment can support uh, support data sharing across institutions and uh, and fintechs. Ultimately then um, being able to scale products to pilots to production faster. Um, if you can get a your product to market faster, there's savings top line and bottom line uh, everywhere. And then also we're seeing a real use of sandbox to um, encourage community as a strategy. And with the agreement of open banking APIs, where everyone is exposing their APIs, there's a need to engage developers faster, engage developers um, and grow a development ecosystem around your technology because that provides a, uh, almost a coefficient on your efforts to actually get to scale your revenue in, in and be embedded in new technologies and the new technology developments that are being made. And so that's where crowdsourcing um, is really valuable through, through marketplaces. Let's, uh, let's dive into the um, use case of the FCA. 
So back in back in March, as COVID was uh, hitting, that had a disproportionate impact on some of the most vulnerable uh, in the UK and, uh, and primarily the small businesses as well. And so the FCA, with their remit to uh, protect consumers and also uh, protect the, the ecosystem, um, decided to accelerate their plans to launch a digital sandbox. Um, and this digital sandbox addressed three main areas and tried to support the uh, industry in three main areas, uh, addressing fraud, addressing small to medium business lending, um, and then also uh, vulnerable consumers. And so in uh, the key part of any sandbox is always the quality of the data that sits within that sandbox. And so with that in mind, SCA launched a data sprint in July 2020, which was a, an effort to generate the highest quality synthetic data sets and working with the Alan Turing Institute in there. And there are a number of firms involved from across the ecosystem to develop really high quality data, uh, synthetic data that would then sit inside that digital sandbox for firms to come in and experiment with. And so with, based off that, the, the digital sandbox was launched in, in November, uh, the pilot, uh, which then carried on to, to the full implementation in, in April. And firms that entered got access to a whole range of tools that would help them in their early stages actually deliver a product to market. And in that in that phase, the FCA got insight into what are the tools that are being developed in the ecosystem, what are the new technologies, the new um, the new business models that are being created. Um, and now they're also addressing sort of this year some of the some of the newest uh, like stuff like sustainability and, and, and blockchain uh, will, will come later in this year as well. Now on the, the next slide, we can just see some of the impact that this has had. Um, so this is a network graph of all the chat. Uh, collaboration that had been happening. And this is sort of the collaboration between the teams and also between uh, mentors. And that digital sandbox has a whole bunch of mentors from the industry to support early stage uh, companies and also for early stage companies to connect to large already established players um, in in the, the industry as well. If we just click again, I think there may be some, some leftover uh, things to click a few more times. We can see some of the um, impacts that this this has had. That just in this three month sandbox, the FGA was able to engage 800 participants. There was huge uptake of the digital sandbox uh, of the marketplace of data APIs and the data the synthetic data sets that were made available, um, and collaboration from all over the world. And this is an extension of the SCA's text print program, which started in 2019, 2016, to then scale this internationally. And with firms like GFIN collaborating with regulators, the digital sandbox platform for them provides a global view in order to see what's the innovation that's happening globally. Um, now, you, you may be thinking that, I mean, there are two types of sandboxes, and it's important to make this distinction. When the SCA launched their sandbox back in 2016, that was uh, a regulatory sandbox. And so based on that first regulatory sandbox, we've seen uh, over 50 regulatory sandboxes around the world being launched based off that same model. And 
what that is is a, a piece of sort of regulatory oversight. Sometimes it's referred to as a, as a paper sandbox, not to be uh, disrespectful in any way, but it's a way for firms to get it, get a, a closer engagement with the FCA while they test an innovative business model. And sometimes that can squeeze firms out because they have a limited number of spots to assess, uh, a limited number of uh, resources, and so they can only accept a, a small number. Um, and that squeezes out other firms that, that can't can't make the cut. Uh, a digital sandbox provides um, a way for them to actually scale that, where the effort required per firm is, is much less, and also providing technical tools uh, means that they can actually sort of, it, it, it requires much less work on the FCA side to support multiple, uh, many, many more firms. It's also open. Uh, there's a marketplace on that sandbox where anyone can onboard their APIs and there's no there's no sort of competitiveness angle there. Um, so, so in that sense, anyone can sign up. And, and on the link, just on the, on the previous slide, I'll share it again uh, if you've got the slides, the, you can go in and actually just sign up today to, to that digital sandbox and anyone can get access. Just at the bottom there, if you search for, for digital sandbox, you'll, you'll come across that link. Okay. Now, the third element of what digital sandboxes provide is a way for institutions to scale their pilots to production. Now, once firms can build their solutions and they can then evaluate their solutions in a, in a like-minded environment, the same sandbox environment can then be used for for production deployments. It can either be integrated into an on-premise deployment or you can open up proprietary data feeds into a sandbox environment. But once it's in a neutral environment, it makes it much, much easier to go to production um, with a new technology uh, under, a, under a governance and a certified governance framework with the bank-grade security that, that sandboxes uh, can have. And it usually works on a on a the um, sensitivity of data that you provide into that sandbox, starting with synthetic, moving to development and UAT type data, and then moving into to production level data. And on the next slide, that's where uh, sandboxes become the foundation for embedded fintech, um, where fintech will actually extend out, not just in financial services, but also into healthcare, into telco, into manufacturing, into other non-financial services related domains and sandboxes can provide the framework for that where you can offer fintech as a service into these other industries um, even though these companies aren't financial services companies in the first place um, and so they'll be able to offer every sort of stack of whether it's current accounts lending um, in their, their technology while not even holding a, a traditional banking license, leveraging an existing banking as a service or fintech as a service um, stack. And that's where, and, and finally, I just want to share about how the sandboxes will not just be used and, and aren't being used today as single uh, sandboxes for, for one firm. Ultimately, what's important to consider is how can sandboxes be used cross-industry and cross-firm. And so what we're sort of, uh, our, our um, thesis is that 
sandboxes will be the place for regulators to, to interact with financial services companies, the big tech to interact with um, VCs and other fintechs, um, and that by creating a very neutral environment, you can actually encourage interoperable uh, collaboration across industry and international as well. Um, and that's where sort of partnerships with, with uh, the FCA and, and GFIN um, are really crucial so that uh, these so these can actually be uh, come, come to fruition. And I think that's important to remember in these sandboxes is make sure that whatever you do, that it's in, uh, tech agnostic. You don't want to be rebuilding a sandbox every single year because a new technology comes out. There's a new blockchain. Uh, that's just, you're just asking, asking for, for, for trouble and, and the OPEX is going to be huge. So making sure that you build with that those future technologies in mind is really crucial for any sandbox implementation in any industry. Um, so I, I might leave it there. Um, and uh, we'd love to open up for for questions. Well, that's excellent, Matt. A really good introduction. And actually, there are a lot of questions here. And I, I should probably have uh, put a disclaimer out that I'm an alderman of the City of London. In fact, I'm sheriff for the last two years, stepping down next month. Uh, so. We uh, in the City of London did participate uh, with the FCA, as you kindly indicated, in, in this new sandbox. And so uh, I'm, I'm certainly a bit of a supporter of really thinking deeply about this approach. Uh, just to get us going, uh, Dan Finney uh, just wanted a point of comparison. He was curious, how does this uh, FCA digital sandbox compare to the one in Singapore, the Monetary Authority uh, of Singapore's APEX? Yeah, it's a great question. So both have similar aims in terms of engaging the industry. Um, the where they significantly differ is in the um, resources that are made available to participants. And so in the SEA Digital Sandbox, um, the data elements are really crucial, providing really high quality data sets for participants to come in and, uh, and leverage to build their new solutions. And also really high quality and relevant APIs for, for building that. So all the APIs in that FCA sandbox are primarily um, North American uh, fintechs and institutions and European. In uh, MAS, it's primarily sort of a, it's a very open sandbox. Anyone can onboard their APIs. There's a bunch of APIs from across Europe, Vietnamese banks and, and whatnot. So depending on which region you're in, it uh, will be will be different, uh, different uses. Mm. Um, you, you emphasized in your talk the importance of the quality of data. You just emphasized it again as well in, in, in the almost the characteristic of the sandbox being what's the data in there that I can get my hands on to use to see what's happening. Uh, Georg Gringe is curious, uh, how does data sharing actually work in practice? In particular, you know, is the data being anonymized? Uh, uh, and I've always seen this tension, uh, particularly in the health sector, where we, we have data that's so anonymized it's useless or data that is so poorly anonymized that it presents a you know privacy risk yeah it's a really fine balance for the uh sca uh, or the the current sandbox there's um over 100 uh, data sets uh, available um about 80 percent of them are either publicly available data sets that have now been made available and about 20 percent of them are synthetic um now in certain cases like Mac, we do flavor of some of those data sets. You know, yeah. You know, so, as, yeah, focused mainly on financial services. So there's about 
eight data sets for SME lending, P&L statements, balance sheets, directors, company's house, and then banking transactions for uh, individuals and um, for uh, businesses, and then credit card statements uh, and other stuff like that. Hmm. Okay. And is there has there been much in this sandbox on anti-money laundering issues? Yeah, so fraud was one of the main use cases uh, in the pilot. And so those banking transactions using uh, a number of methods, machine learning, agent-based modeling, had fraud indicators throughout them, which helps early-stage startups who don't have a data set to work with to come in and build a model to then use for their release and go to market where that where out in the market at the moment it'll cost them multi, hundreds of thousands of dollars from some of the credit providers to actually get access to that data that they have to train their first model. Mm. Okay. Um, I, uh, our firm built a trading application about five years ago in Singapore. And one of the things that startled me was how much of our production costs fell away because we had a good business identity system and a very good personal identity system, uh, very much as APIs we plugged into. And so large portions of what we would have normally built here in Europe just were unnecessary, uh, validating that this was a, a real individual and a customer and the transaction could occur. A lot of the processing costs fell away. Uh, so back to Dan Feeney again, he's saying, how much is the City of London and FCA Sandbox highlighted the urgency for a digital identity framework for the UK going forward? It's a huge, uh, we've heard a lot of feedback from participants that digital ID is a, is a really um, is a really important use case at the moment. Um, I, I can't could confirm what the City of London and the FCA are, are going to do. I know that there's been a lot of feedback calling for digital ID and it, and it does make the development of solutions, not just in the sandbox, but in the market, much, much more difficult that there isn't a digital ID sort of framework like there might be in uh, in Singapore. So um, there's, there's definitely been some good feedback related to that point. Okay. Uh, Nick Bertels, uh, a very distinguished member of the Worshipful Company of Information Technologists, is asking, uh, how do you help resolve technical problems at the interface of a number of different software suppliers, you know, some being large, some being startups? Or is, the, uh, is it much more about just the data and the interfacing to that? In other words, are people interfacing through data or are you finding as part of the sand uh, pit work that you do, you've got to spend a lot of time helping people integrate technically? Yeah, it's a good question. There's, there's uh, just not quite exactly sure. There's a few ways I can answer that. In order to help with the using of new APIs, we do a, number, a significant amount of testing on them, performance, scalability, whether they actually meet the, the data models, open source, interoperable data models, and validate the due diligence on these APIs to make sure that they're fit for purpose, especially if a financial institution is going to use a startup. Then on the data interoperability side, um, there's mapping tools to actually link together uh, multiple APIs into a common standard so that a bank could then say, well, I want to use um, Forex Provider 1 and then just switch out to Forex Provider 2 because they're mapped to the same interoperable data, uh, API standard. And there's tools that, that can, can do that. Um, and then if you're interfacing with data, 
then uh, using those, those same interoperability, mapping that data to that that standard, with, so that then they can be used with the with the tools as well. Mm -hmm. Help solve that. Uh, Rob Fox um, is returning really uh, back to the business case and the business model. But in your opinion, is the main benefit, if you had to choose, is the main benefit of the digital sand, uh, sandbox for a bank, firm, or regulator to get access to new tech breakthroughs? Or is it really more for the startups and suppliers to get to new customers? I think the, the benefit, at least that we've seen, um, is is equal. Uh, if you think about Uber, for example, who's who's it benefiting more, the drivers or the people who can now get get around in a cheaper and faster way, more convenient way? Um, we find that the banks, it's not just access, it's actually the speed that they get. So there's an existing marketplace where they can open up that marketplace, but equally, it takes us about a couple of hours to onboard a new supplier to to, to the sandbox, which then means that they can use that technology in the same way to bring that product to market. So the benefit is not just access to new technology, it's actually the speed. For the, for the fintechs, it is getting access to new customers, but also for them, it's speed as well, because they don't want to spend nine months uh, doing, a, doing a POC just to find out that they're not, not going to go ahead. Uh, it's a huge cost for them. So, so speed is, is benefit on both sides. Yeah. Um, now, uh, Anita Dorothy uh, Millar uh, thinks that the, the the answers that you gave about resolving the IT issues uh, highlights the importance of boundaries. And her question is really, well, I can see why sandboxes are attractive to industry. Uh, to play devil's advocate, to what extent does the FCA and other regu regulators think about, one, have we gone too far? I, 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 are we doing the job? of the venture capital or private equity incubator. Uh, two, what are the risks of regulatory capture? And three, you know, are the FCA's resources being directed wisely? And four, uh, uh, you, know, uh, you know, do do other people uh, raise questions on this? I'll take those in four bits. It's a lot to take in. So uh, the first one is just, uh, are, are, are you encouraging regulators to do the job that really should be done by a venture capitalist or private equity? Yeah, I, I think they they definitely solve different uh, different challenges. Um, in in the the eyes of uh, some of the, one of the purposes is to actually get advanced insight into some of the innovations that are happening, so that they can then inform on policy. So by getting access to some of the, the blockchain innovations, uh, some of the crypto innovations and other unique business models by now pay later, for example, they can then inform on, on a, have a, get an advanced insight of what policy can be made to, to address that. Um, Yeah, I'm not too, too, too sure how to answer that from, from right. my perspective, at least. Well, you know, in some ways, I kind of, uh, don't worry, you don't have to answer for the industry because, you you know, you're providing the abilities <laughs> that they need, but it is, I think, uh, on people's minds. Uh, second was, you know, what are the risks of regulatory capture here, you know? Um, yeah, so uh, within, from, from a, I mean, from an I 
that, that, that was the purpose of the regulatory sandbox, to get closer engagement with the, uh, with the industry while they test out innovative business models that may not have policy attached to them or may not have policy oversight attached to them. So at the moment, they're distinct sandboxes where the digital sandbox is for experimenting technology and accelerating that with data and APIs. Then the regulatory sandbox is distinct. Based on the Khalifa review, there was a discussion of a scale box, um, which will achieve both of those outcomes, digital sandbox and regulatory sandbox. So if we can pair up the regulatory sandbox with the digital sandbox, at that point, you, you, you achieve both aims, that while you're testing your technology, you have regulatory oversight with a, with a green tick from the regulator, so you can test that in a safe and compliant way, uh, uh, addressing, addressing the regulatory capture point. Okay. Um, over the last uh, 25 years or so, since we've seen the proliferation of services delivered digitally across the net, I'm sure many of us have experienced the situation of finding a website in particular that you really like and you're using, and then it disappears. Uh, I remember, in fact, you know, Rightly when Google took it over and I was using Rightly to coordinate with people and suddenly it's gone for a few years until it comes back as Google Docs. Um, so it's kind of frustrating uh, as, you, as you have these experiences. So Hugh Purser is asking, you know, you've emphasized the important role of startups. Uh, but only a small percentage survive and grow. Uh, what happens when a startup goes bust or ceases to exist in terms of new APIs or other solutions that are provided by the startup? How is the intellectual property controlled uh, within the sandbox? Yeah, great, great question. I mean, the the problem of of a startup going bust that is the that is sort of the uh, foundation of innovation in order to get really and the model of VCs in order to get really high achievers at the top who take over an industry you need a robust foundation of experimentation at the bottom with lots of lots of startups failing it's not the plan for all startups to succeed that should not happen um, uh, but for IP um, the model that is currently in, in play and has been for since the tech experience is that any IP that you bring into the sandbox it, before the sandbox, that's been owned by you. Any IP that you develop in the sandbox with another supplier, so say a bank and a fintech come into the sandbox to develop, that IP agreement needs to be worked out uh, between those two suppliers themselves in order to work out how does that work. Um, there's no IP ownership at the moment. Uh, I don't know if there's any plans to be owned by the sandbox itself, but it's the, the players who are happening in the sandbox who, who will own that, that IP and work out what that agreement is. Okay. Um, I don't know anything about it. Uh, Dan Fianney was asking, uh, any thoughts on the FinTech nursery? It's a new concept to me. Yeah, what's a, a FinTech nursery? Okay. Uh, Dan, if you could uh, provide a little bit more context there. Uh, I'll move on to the next question, but perhaps um, come back uh, to that if I may. I mean, one of the things I've been picking up from all this, Matt, is in, in many ways you're really pro-competitive. Uh, you're, you're really trying to increase the ability of larger institutions to engage with many more people in the ecosystem and much, much faster. Is that a fair summary of where we've gotten to so far? 100%. Um yeah, definitely. 
both banks experimenting with more suppliers, making sure the best suppliers actually find the customers that they're meant to, whether there's a fantastic fintech from Iceland who has a great piece of technology, how else would you find them and, and use them? Um, so so that, that, that is the, the complete model and mm-hmm. aim. Um, I'd like to touch on on, on other industries um, a little bit more than finance, and I know that's uh, not not quite your area. Um, but um, oh, actually, we'll come back to that in a minute because Dan is just to provide a little bit more information here. Thank you, Dan. Uh, the FCA is providing more oversight to new fintechs in um, and the in terms of risk and compliance. So examples include you know uh, folks like Revolut or N26. Um, and uh, Hugh Purser has put a comment in here. We'll put this in the chat room uh, with uh, some articles about that. Uh, but according to Teresa Yurkovich Hoffman, the FinTech nursery is a recommendation in the FinTech strategic review. Uh, that's the City of London uh, Corporation's Innovation and Growth, which I should have known more about. <laughs> um, and they're working there on trying to deliver the outcome of it. So the idea really being that there's a lot more handholding to, to get them along. Uh, with with the compliance and regulatory side of life. Mm. So I think it 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 would achieve the, it would be under achieving the same the same aims of um, trying to support the ultimate outcomes of this sandbox, which for the pilot was fraud, SME lending, and vulnerable consumers, which are all the remit of the FCA and the City of London. They're trying to promote these outcomes. The nursery and the sandbox will, will aim to. To, to achieve that um, by supporting the startups in this space. Okay, good. Um, now, uh, I was going to touch on, on other industries briefly. Uh, we've got a few minutes before we need to close. Um, and, you know, we've touched uh, in, in the green room on things you know, like health um, and like fraud in the wider sense, not just uh, financial fraud. Um, where are you seeing uh, interest and growth in this technique being used in other sectors? Yeah, there's a there's a number of uh, sectors where this is particularly relevant and taking off. And as as a parallel to sandboxes, there's a concept of digital twins, which is a little bit more mature in the manufacturing space. Um, and uh, there's a number of great institutions from Cambridge. The Alan Turing has a great piece of work on on digital digital twins um, to develop that high quality data, which can sit inside a sandbox for experimentation. And so, in manufacturing, um, there's a mature ecosystem of digital twins, um, telco, and and a range of startup integrations in telco, um, but also health. I mean, as you mentioned, uh, anonymization of data is quite common in health, um, but there's no sort of health sandbox for experimentation and the support of startups in the development of new solutions. Um, and so um, we've, we've sort of done some uh, some investigation with uh, oncology sandboxes to provide uh, cancer-related data uh, to to firms for, for their, their experimentation, biotech companies, and also seeing it um, in... Uh, yeah, healthcare manufacturing and telco are the, are the key areas. Insurance is obviously taking off uh, for sandboxes as well. Um, and I think over the next couple of years, we'll see that much more and more. Okay. In many ways, I mean, sandboxes are not new. Uh, you know, we've had programs for years like folding at home on uh, protein folding. And they, they've typically, it's kind of funny because they, they were originally sort of science, but they didn't, nobody called them sandboxes. And there was huge data sets that scientists would trawl and use, et cetera. 
And now, of course, it's coming back into the financial services, having picked it up, and now it's going, to, but but for slightly different reasons, more for the uh, uh, more for developing uh, innovation. Although there was innovation being developed on the sides, so now it's coming back, and everybody's calling them sandboxes. Uh, so it, it's a it's a funny circle that we've gone. Um, it's been really good here uh, to, to chat with you, Matt, and I appreciate you staying up late in Sydney. Um, but um, we've got a got, got a few uh, questions I'd just like to close on, uh, and probably the most interesting one, which I think will be uh, something you'll like to, to hear a lot, uh, is Rob Fox uh, again. He's saying, as an investor, I'd be interested to know if Matt sees opportunities to invest in the growing demand for digital sandboxes, including even in his own company. Um, so over to you for the for, for the investment pitch, if you if you've got one. Uh, yeah, we'd, we're definitely uh, we'd love to love to chat. Uh, there's there's huge opportunity, uh, and I think in the next couple of years, as digital sandbox for regulators and as financial institutions uh, see the use of sandboxes for, for their digital transformation in the US, community banks, and over in, in Europe, huge opportunity. Uh, so love to love to chat. Okay. Well, it's been absolutely thrilling, and, and as I say, an area that we are we're quite keen on. Um, as I mentioned, uh, all the questions and comments uh, will, will be coming to you with uh, emails attached, including Rob Fox's, so you, you two can chat about investment if you wish. Um, I've been thrilled to have you here today because I think it's an important area to really delve into far too often that... Uh, at, at events or something, you run into somebody and, you know, it, it's sandbox is hot or sandbox is cold. <clears throat> it's not really a, a good look at uh, the richness in it. I think larger firms in particular uh, miss the importance of this approach and what it could really do for them, as you pointed out, in terms of increasing the, uh, the ability to engage, but also increasing the speed uh, of experimentation. And in a global competitive world, uh, surely uh, that is an application. Uh, that we need to we need to look at. Uh, just before I shut down, I've got three rounds of thanks, if I may. Uh, first one is clearly to our sponsors. Uh, thanks again, and I hope that many of you, if you're not thinking about using sandboxes, uh, might. Uh, if you're already using them, please uh, talk to us. We'd like to have uh, more examples of these in action uh, in all sorts of areas, not just financial services. Um, and uh, thank you very much for allowing us to to, to go forward today with another uh, corner of a, a vast increasing world of things that are going on uh, in technology, economics, and finance. Now to you, the audience, again, uh, very good questions, very much on the money there. I thank you as well. Uh, I can't run these things if you don't give me the questions. Uh, may I say thank you uh, in addition though, uh, to some of the points in here, which I thought uh, raised things that I myself have been thinking for a while and has been helpful. Finally, um, a reminder uh, to go as ever to the website, but next week we do have a particularly uh, fascinating webinar, which is uh, Dr. Jeffrey West dialing in on Thursday at three from the Santa Fe Institute. Uh, it's a bit of a coup to capture him and he's going to be chatting about scale. Um, this is a power laws, a ZIF constants, et cetera. So I think you'll find this uh, really, really mind bending and also challenging. Uh, but a lot of fun and a way of looking at the world, which I find very refreshing. But finally, and most importantly, Matt, I, I really need to say thank you to you and the team, uh, to Karen Jane, who introduced us. Uh, and it's been really wonderful that you've spent the time to explain this to everyone. 
we're delighted that you're doing so much work here in London and that London is seen as the centre of sandbox thinking. And uh, we hope to see you back over here uh, quite soon, uh, COVID permitting. Unfortunately, I am unable to technologically. We'll need a, an applause sandbox quite soon um, where we can figure out new ways of giving applause online. But I do have my Korean karmic clapper, uh, which we use as our sort of airsats applause. I'd like to thank you very much for coming today. And we hope to learn more in the future as you develop as a firm. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you very much.